Hello friends, I'm Amelia Allen and welcome to another episode of Altitude Crime. As we have for the rest of October, we are keeping in line with two key themes. The first is I will have a horror movie recommendation at the end of the episode. But the far more important theme for this month is that October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. And I have been dedicating this month's episodes to stories that involve this dynamic. If you are a victim of domestic violence, please call the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE. That's 1-800-799-7233. Or you can visit thehotline.org. I've also included links to donate and learn more on the website for the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence. The case that we're going to get into today is maybe more what people think of when they think of domestic violence. In this situation, the perpetrator had a history of assault and a crime history that had a really clear escalation to the incident that occurred. So let's get into this week's case. On March 9th, 2014, at about 8.10 p.m., Canyon City Police got a horrific phone call. The 16-year-old of Mandy Folsom had ran to her neighbor's house in order to call the police because she had been sexually assaulted. According to the Canyon City Daily Record, she said, quote, she had been raped, unquote, and that her family members were, quote, tied up in the garage, unquote. She explained that after being sexually assaulted by the perpetrator for a second time that evening, he had taken some pills and passed out. She was able to escape the home while her abuser was asleep and got to the neighbor's house to call the cops. She impressed upon police that the rest of her family was still in the house and was in dire need of help. Given the information that they had from the teen, the police created a perimeter around the house and went into the detached garage where she had last seen the rest of her family tied up. But there was no one in the detached garage anymore. Police then entered the home. They would find three bodies in the downstairs bedroom. That of Mandy Folsom, 35, her daughter, Marissa Stalter, who was nine, and her son, Mason Kaufman, who was five. All three were stabbed and had cuts to the throat. According to Sarah Rose's reporting for the Canyon City Daily Record, the cause of death was, quote, multiple incised wounds, unquote, and the murder weapon was identified as a knife. These autopsies showed that the deaths were clearly at the hand of another person and also indicated that the three were tortured in some kind of aspect prior to being killed. A later autopsy also determined that the assailant had sexually assaulted Mandy and Marissa in addition to the 16-year-old that was able to escape the house. As police continued through the home, they found 31-year-old Jacob Van Winkle upstairs. He was asleep and his undershirt was stained with blood. He was arrested on the spot and surrendered to police without any incident. Mandy Folsom and her ex-husband Michael had been married for about four years, and Michael had even adopted Mandy's youngest son, Mason. They had divorced 
just the month prior in February. And while Michael claimed that they still very much were in love and had planned on getting remarried, Mandy and Van Winkle had been dating, and Van Winkle had lived with the family during the relationship. Van Winkle had continued to live with them even though Mandy had broken up with him about two weeks prior to the killings. Van Winkle initially denied killing anyone, but he admitted that he had sexually assaulted the teen that was able to escape to her neighbor's house. His version of the story to cops was that he found everyone already dead, but did not want to call the police because they would have arrested him on his outstanding charge of not registering as a sex offender. He was supposed to re-register for his sex offenses on March 4th, but never went to the sheriff's office. According to the Canyon City Daily Record, when police arrived, Van Winkle, quote, had blood on his hands from touching the bodies, unquote, and claimed, quote, to have found the suspected murder weapon, a knife, on the bed, unquote. He had then taken the knife, wrapped it in sheets, and hid the weapon in a crawl space. Once he was in custody, Van Winkle was originally charged with three counts of first-degree murder, three counts of kidnapping, and sexual assault charges. Police also held him based on that he had not registered as a sex offender in Colorado in the way that he was supposed to, and he was held without bond. Jacob Van Winkle was originally from Indiana, and his rap sheet was over a decade long and included charges in two states, and he was a previous sex offender. In 2004, he was charged with vicarious sexual gratification, which is basically sexual conduct in the presence of a minor, and in 2004 and 2007, he was charged with sexual molestation. In these molestations, the girls were as young as five years old. In 2010, he was also charged with theft and receiving stolen property. Adding to his rap sheet, he had a domestic violence assault conviction in Colorado as well. The case would not go to a jury as Van Winkle took a plea bargain, and the guilty plea applied to 36 charges in order for him to avoid the death penalty. According to Andrea St. Clair's reporting for the Gazette, these charges included 14 counts of first-degree murder, 6 counts of sexual assault, 2 counts of child abuse resulting in death, 2 counts of second-degree kidnapping, a first-degree sexual assault, sexual assault on a child, sexual assault on a child by one in a position of trust, pattern of abuse, and unlawful sexual contact. The plea also included the addition of a count of habitual sex offender against children and six counts of crime of violence. The last time we talked about habitual offenses was in the Scott Kimball case way early on in the single digits of altitude crime episodes. But if you'll remember, it basically gives prosecutors the ability to give convicted criminals a harsher sentence based on that they do the same kind of crime habitually. So they're able to get them with a longer sentence for something that would typically be a shorter sentence if somebody just did it once. Van Winkle was sentenced on September 29th, 2014, and received three life sentences with no possibility of parole. He did not address the court. But unfortunately, life went on for all of those who loved Mandy, Mason, and Marissa. Canyon City Schools called in grief counselors to be available for students. 
Mandy, who had previously lived in Salida and spoke with her mother often, would not have these kind of chats with her anymore. Mason, who would have been a kindergartner that same year and loved to play football, would never get the opportunity to pursue his dreams. And Marissa, who was very fond of the Easter holiday, would end up being buried in her beautiful Easter dress. The three are buried side by side in the Lewis and Glenn funeral home in Salida. Now I have to tell you, part of why these cases are hard to cover is it's really short and to the point. Like I said in one of the last episodes, I would love to tell you more about our victims and really be able to put a personality and a face to those people. But unfortunately, these stories just happen so often it's hard for me to do that. But let's get into some thoughts on this week's case. Musing number one. You may be wondering why I refer to Mandy's 16-year-old, the one that was able to escape to the neighbor's house to call police, as just the 16-year-old. Well, remember, she's a minor, and her name was not released as the case was a sexual assault. Musing number two. Speaking of Mandy's 16-year-old, I can't help but just feel so much for her. Just think of the emotional burden that she carries on as an adult of her trying to get out and helping her family and then to end up being the only one left alive. And doubly, how brave of her to know that she had to get out and do something. I definitely applaud her, but I feel so much for what she's had to go through after that. Musing number three. During the sexual assaults, Van Winkle had told Mandy's 16-year-old that he had killed someone in Indiana. When he was questioned about this by the authorities, he did deny it. But the question is, could Jacob Van Winkle have killed somebody else? Well, there's a possibility of it. Not only from what he said, but because he had been questioned in 2011 when his 50-year-old landlord, Michael Eaton, was found dead. Michael was reported missing on September 13, 2011, and authorities ended up finding a decomposed body in Michael's residence in the clutter in his home. It was determined that Michael had been dead for around two weeks by the time his body was found in the home. But there are still a lot of questions here because his manner of death was ruled as inconclusive. As police looked into this more, they actually found Van Winkle in a tent in the woods and arrested him on a parole violation warrant. But Van Winkle was never charged with a murder, and it's still questionable if a murder even happened. But I don't know about you, it gets my true crime senses tingling that There could be other victims in Van Winkle's past. Well, as always, thanks for listening today, guys. I know this is another shorter one, but it's still so important to share these stories, and I don't want to gloss over them by any means. But unfortunately, there's just not a whole lot of information to go off of, but doesn't make these stories any less important. Like I said at the beginning of the episode, there is help if you are a victim of domestic violence. You can call the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE, which is 1-800-799-7233, or you can visit thehotline.org. And if you haven't already, please follow or subscribe to Altitude Crime on your favorite podcast platform. It really helps other people find the podcast, and I love seeing those numbers tick up every week of us gaining new listeners and growing our crime clan. 
You can also connect with me on social media on Instagram at Altitude Crime Podcast and Facebook and Twitter at Altitude Crime. If you don't already, I am putting out a lot of information over the next couple weeks about domestic violence, and that's all coming from the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence, and it's some pretty interesting facts, and I mean, let's be honest, some pretty sad facts. As always, you can find this episode's source materials at AltitudeCrime.com. And as I promised earlier in the episode, I do have a horror movie recommendation for you this week. And going through my favorite movies, I'm realizing that I definitely have a theme in what I like in horror. If you'll remember, my first recommendation was The Changeling, which is about a haunted house that basically tells the person why it's haunted. And actually, this week's recommendation is kind of similar. It's Darkness, which actually stars Anna Paquin. And it's kind of similar, but um, maybe maybe a little bit Amityville-ish in there too, just as far as um, it maybe being a little bit more blatant versus The Changeling is definitely a little bit more muted as far as everything goes. Well, thank you again for making Altitude Crime a part of your week. And I can't wait to tell you about another case next Sunday on Altitude Crime. Episode 29, Domestic Violence Awareness Month, Mandy Folsom, was written, recorded, and edited by Amelia Allen. Music provided by podbean.com.